This is Pop Culture Confidential, and I'm Christina Yerling Biru. Taylor and Burton in Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, Hoffman and Streep in Kramer vs. Kramer, Rollins and Falk in A Woman Under the Influence, Johansson and Driver in Marriage Story, Bergman's Scenes from a Marriage. Marriage in cinema, when done well, is a most fascinating theme, and this year seems exceptional. Incredibly interesting marriages in so many films, the good, the bad, and the ugly. With me to dissect the state of matrimony in cinema 2023 is executive editor at awardswatch.com and married man, Ryan McQuaid. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining me. That's the big qualifier. I think you couldn't bring a single person on to talk about no. marriage with yourself, right, Christina? And we had to, it had to be, you had to be married and know what you're talking about. Thank you so much for having me back on. Now I actually have a voice. I, yes. feel, like, uh, I feel like the King's speech. Now I have a voice. Um, but it's, it's still not all the way there, but it's getting there. It's getting there. So I'm so happy you're better. I'm so glad you're with me again. Last time we did one of these type of shows where we looked at a theme, we were looking at a Spielberg and there we were talking mostly about divorces Yes, and his themes about that. I don't know if this one's going to be more positive or more depressing, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I, I will say that episode one of the greatest episodes I've ever done podcasting and, oh, thank and God. really, and, and, and it was also right before we saw Fableman's, I believe, or right around when we saw it and, and um, a movie that completely profoundly moved me. And, and yeah, I mean, I think that this topic, the minute you put it up online, I was like, Oh, that would be a, a really great idea for, you know, for a podcast. And then we, I think we just, we kind of just realized, yeah, this Let's is, do it. It's <laughs> in our wheelhouse. So, do you have like an all-time marriage portrayed in cinema? Oh, yeah, oh my God, that's I didn't prepare to think about that. Um, no, that's. I mean, you were re- reading off so many wonderful marriages. You know, I, I would. It, marriage is such a different, difficult thing because I come from a family of divorce. So, so when we were talking about divorce, yes, that was easier for us. (laughs) That was very easier for us. I I think that, you know, marriage was, I mean, like when we talked about catch me, if you can, I even think like boyhood, because that's a, a marriage that's already kind of established themselves as, as divorce and it's two sections of the life. And that was very much how I was like, I go with my dad and I would have my separate experiences and I would go with my mom and I was five when they divorced. So I don't really know or have very many positive memories of their, of their marriage. Cause I was just so young. Mm-hmm. I remember certain things about obviously the divorce, um, but nothing that like, you know, crippled my, um, my, you know, my sort of thoughts and feelings about my parents. But in, in terms of like in cinema, I mean, it's it's always you know it that I mean you mentioned, um, <laughs> I think the one that that is really maybe close to me, be in in terms of a relationship I guess with my own marriage, is a movie um, and this might sound twisted but Phantom Thread, because how and why that movie is so precious to me is because I think that movie perfectly illustrates power dynamics within a marriage. And especially if someone is completely creative. I mean, you're 
both in your marriages, you're, you're two creatives and I'm creative, but then there's the outsider's perspective, which is my wife who is not in this field. And, uh, and, and she, she has to settle down, settle me down. Right. Or, you know, and then there's, there's the, the way you take care of, you know, the way Alma take care of him in the, in the film, like literally with the mushrooms there, are, it's meta, it's literally taking the metaphor of, I will strangle you to death to the ultimate like degree with mushrooms. So I, I, but I mean, they also feed off each other. And then the way Alma's very protective of Reynolds work uh, with the Barbara Rose wedding. That's very much how Megan is with, with me. She's very, um, she's very protective of, of not just me around people, but definitely when it comes to my work, she's not met certain people that, you know, she knows aren't, are maybe as good as us or whatever, but she's very much like, I don't like them or they're not as good as you or da, 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 da. And there's that self-satisfaction, that smile. But I also think of like the final shot of Phantom Thread where, you know, she's got him on his, uh, his head on her knee and she's still full in control because she is in control. That's what I love about that movie. She is in control. And Megan's very much in control of this household. So um, I may I may think I am, but there's no way in hell in actual reality um, that I am. So that's probably the best answer I got for you. Well, I have one up on you because I'm, I'm divorced and remarried. <laughs> so I have that experience in, in a very good marriage now, but also with creators, as you're saying. So I'm sure I can identify more with the types of movies you're talking about with two creatives and that sort of thing. But I was thinking about this and and the one, the most beautiful marriage, strangely enough, that I always cry every single time is the first 15 minutes of Up. Because I think yeah. that's the marriage oh. that you wanted to have, <laughs> right? I think that's the, that's the marriage of our grandparents and, and yeah. of the yeah, right. It's the perfect yeah. kind of marriage, right? And even though, I mean, of course, that's sad because they wanted to have children and couldn't, but still the, the the whole sort of beauty of that marriage and when something bad happens and they can't have children, they continued following their dreams. And then he keeps those dreams alive after she's passed. That's such a beautiful little marriage, but. <laughs> Absolutely. No, my God. Now, I, you know, it was funny recently, I was at the Middleburg Film Festival and they were doing a, um, a, a tribute to Michael Giacchino because that's his music at the beginning. Oh, of it. yes. And they play and they the what they did for Up was the first like 10 minutes and they showed it. They showed the video and I was just like, OK, we're not doing this. It's no, like 10 o'clock in the morning. Crying. Everyone. Yes. Everybody was in tears. It's so universal. The love there, you know. Let's get into this year's crop of marriages in film. I just wanted to say that we're going to dive into these partnerships heavily, so there may be spoilers. I've identified um, some films this year, and there are a lot, and the really good ones that are yeah. really about some interesting marriages, some terrible marriages, some good ones. But we have Maestro, we have Anatomy of a Fall, May, December, Past Lives, Documentary American Symphony. Killers of the Flower Moon, Zone of Interest, Ferrari has interesting marriage and relationships, Priscilla, Oppenheimer. I mean, these are a far cry from your standard sitcom marriages. These are something yeah. different. But anything I missed off the bat before we get started here? No. I mean, no, I think that that's, that's a, a big enough list to start off with. But yeah. I, you know, <laughs> well, why um, do you think this is, is there a reason for this theme right now? Or is it just a coincidence? I don't think it's a coincidence. I think artists are, I think artists are in in their houses writing, and 
they're with their significant others. And, you know, we talk about artists having these, these personal projects over the last couple of years, but marriage playing such a dominant, um, uh, subject matter or force inside these projects makes total sense for a lot of directors that we haven't seen make movies. And also marriages are complex and very different and everyone has a different marriage. It's a different contract, a different contract than, um, than anyone else. Like your marriage is different than mine. So those are two stories. Those are two experiences. Those are two people. Those people are different. It makes for great drama, great comedy, great sadness in between. Um, you know, I, I, I think that, um, uh, yeah, I think all the movies you mentioned are pretty, are pretty close there to, I mean, like even something like, are you there? God, it's me, Margaret. That's like mm-hmm. a perfect example of like marriage dynamics, but also then a, a chance to bring in religion or bring in, um, like you brought up zone of interest to bring up or, or Oppenheimer, those are atrocities or past lives is to bring up. Um, you know, past lives is to bring up the past or to bring up unresolved feelings, Priscilla, the, you know, a power dynamic, um, you know, May, December, definitely power dynamic, yes. you know what I mean? <laughs> uh, maestro, complete power dynamic, you know what I mean? So um, I think that they're absolutely fascinating. And then of course, like you're mentioning anatomy of a fall, which we'll talk about, but then that's, that's kind of what the, you know, the two artists uh, conflict as well. So it's all different, right? If it's, I mean, it's unique. I don't know what your thoughts are. Do you feel like there's a reason for it? Is a common, I mean, this is obviously, I think a giant common thread, but, um, but one very unexpected. I completely agree with you that this, it seems like something that's come out of this year where people are writing very, very personally. I, I recently did a show about that. Another big theme this year is about writers. And, yes. and you can tell that people are specifically um, during COVID or, and after have been very much writing about themselves. And even though Bradley Cooper obviously isn't Lenny. <laughs> um, it is, I'm sure that these are things that, that you can bring in your own experiences, your own relationships um, going through that there's something very personal about this. But let's talk about, because you already identified with, with your first um, examples there when we were talking about ourselves, the sort of creative partnership category that I think is quite strong here, both in, in with Bradley Cooper and Felicia Montalegre in the Lenny Bernstein uh, movie Maestro, as well as something like Anatomy of, Fall, of a Fall, where you have two authors really competing almost and the jealousy between them and one that's really successful and one that obviously isn't. The sort of being married to a genius, what do you see in these films? Yeah, I mean, with Anatomy... Uh, you and I were at Telluride watching that together. And I think you and I were, there was that, that courtroom scene, the transcript that is read to the courtroom, but we see happen in real life. The argument that happens between, you know, the husband and then, yeah, the fight that is like one of the scenes of the year. Right. And I think you and I, at one point, about halfway through that conversation, looked at each other and our mouths were on the floor. Cause we were like, <laughs> we were sitting there like, I, this is shockingly, shockingly familiar. And I think anyone that's ever been creative knows how, how really there were daggers in those moments. Um, sort of the, the blaming of regret when the regret is internalized within the oneself to then blame the partner 
for that. It's like, no, 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 no. You and were the, the reason. sacrifices I yeah, have been all, doing. Have you not been seeing that? Seeing this, <laughs> yeah. And then, but then also the, 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 the poison of turning the child into uh, the conversation and using time with your children as an, as an excuse to not be able to fulfill your selfish artistic fantasies and then use the hard work that got them all there, which is um, Sandra Huller's character's work um, to get there. There's the, obviously the idea of plagiarism um, and, and lifting this story off of him. And, and it's, it, it's so fascinating because I I've seen the movie twice and I go back to that scene and I'm so on her side Really, I am, and 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 I and I have not wavered at all. Me neither, but so many people are. I don't. I totally relate with her because because she acted. She she did the work. She wasn't. She didn't hesitate. You know this as as an artist and as a writer and as a person. There's no hesitation in what you're doing. If you have a plan, if you have an idea, you need to do it. And he had massive doubts, massive. Um, hesitation but also she could have been there and she was by her own account you have to believe i guess if you believe that she said to him um which she even says to him that she tried and told him that it was good mm-hmm. told him it was good you see it from her perspective there that it's not a lie in the courtroom and the you know the the pencil twisting mustache uh prosecutor can't can't spin her words or whatever you literally see her say i told you this was good enough to go full on ahead and explore and you specifically you specifically didn't do anything with it so what am i supposed to do not sit there and 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 see this great idea this one idea from it yeah and both sit there and suffer and have these arguments over and over again because as you know christina you have to be able to fill the itch as an artist. And so I, I think that that scene is so fascinating. And it feels like she was giving him the room if he wanted to, but he didn't take it. And, he, and this is a movie where you have that added thing of the guilt of something that's happened to a child. I mean, this is thing we've seen this in different marriage movies before and how this really crushes a marriage if a child has died or gotten sick and he kind of is using his guilt towards the child to, to not write and then spewing it on her. Yeah. I mean, there's just an awful thing to do to a parent from my perspective. I almost felt like too, that times the camera was focused like a little bit upright, like as if like Daniel was under a couch or something and watching this unfold. Oh, interesting. Like this is like, mm-hmm. the, the, this is a memory, but it's not really a memory because it's the first he's hearing it, but it, it almost as if like you're peeking in, to see this conversation that starts, how does it always start, Christina? It always starts at dinner. It always starts at like the end of the day. It all starts with a glass of wine. It always starts with pleasantries. And it and always something starts completely that way. arbitrary. It's not like yes. someone walks in and says, we have to discuss what's going on with our child. I mean, it's mostly exactly. just like pass the peas, you pass them wrong. But also, too, the the idea of bringing up, and this is, I think, the same thing that happens in Maestro. There's a scene in Maestro at during Thanksgiving, bringing up every... Also the fight of the year. Yes. These two fights. Uh, these two fights. But they are something that happens regularly in a marriage where, yes, you, you 
you forgive or you forget or you move on. But when you're fighting with your spouse, you've been keeping a tally. You've been keeping a list of the things that have bothered you, the list of the things that have made you upset. And when it is, and you're almost waiting to play that card. And the minute it gets to this point, and it's not a great way of fighting. It should never be a great way of fighting, but it is these couples bring every ounce of their past back into it. It is almost a, it's not just a fight of this conversation. No, it's it is the a fight of, it's the, the whole enchilada. It's the whole thing. And that's what I love about it because it then in anatomy, it is to get to the root of what all this is. It's not just artistic regret. It's parental responsibility. It's what he feels he's done to Daniel and the burden that he has caused his son. And then and twisting it Where's, around. Why are we living here? Yeah. And we here, why there? are we doing yeah. this? Why doesn't he, why is he, you know, he could be in school. You chose to teach him, but then turning it on Sandra and, and essentially saying like, you know, you, you write and you pawn our child off to me. And she's like, the hell I do. And you're also saying that my time with him is not valuable. You could go right to hell for that. Mm -hmm. And so I don't, I've never seen her as the villain that some people, you know, no, try just to the make fact to that be. she has to listen to that 50 cent thing. And he has to rebuild that house for years and no, years. I'd be gone. In a I, I, no, that, but I mean, she completely has, I wouldn't say the moral high ground, but she definitely has the factual high ground when it comes to it in terms of she's, He's arguing out of emotion. She's arguing out of reality. Mm -hmm. And when you are arguing out of reality, um, then you are the, the same person in the argument. When you're pointing out little every little thing that makes sense and this person is not listening to that specific point, but they're moving on to the next one, the, the, the person that's actually making sense is the one that is the one that is winning the fight. And that's, and that's been a case where I've been on both sides of that. So it's not like I, it's not like I'm, I've been caught in the, in the same trap as well. I don't know about you, but I've been caught oh, yeah. many times on both sides. And it's a, it's interesting to be on both sides of those arguments. And I want to get back to the sort of narcissistic genius maestro relationship oh, there. Yeah. But I, first I want to mention in regarding this past lives, there's a relationship between two authors as well, or two playwrights. Um, and but what's so beautiful about that relationship is the husband there really understands that if she can't explore this past relationship that she has been starting to explore, their marriage won't work either. Her writing won't work. And that's what is so, uh, quite amazing with that marriage. Yeah. And as for Christina past lives, you know, I think back to when I, I talked to Celine Song about about the film and how the the real villain of that movie is time and the, the the body of water in between these two countries and how she's leaving the love of her adolescence behind and she's finding the love that is essentially her husband and, and her future and i think that that's beautiful and i i agree with you she does have to explore this she has to i wouldn't say get it out of her system but she she definitely needs to see what is there because it'll be something that could linger and lead to regret and lead to arguments and whatnot. And I think they nip it in the bud right before it gets to that point. But a lot of like the third act is through John McGraw's perspective for me in that 
there's that scene where he's in the bed and they're not arguing, but he's holding her and he's like basically telling her, it's not a, it, it, I think it is a plead. It is a plead to tell her, I don't want you to forget about me. Right. I love you. I don't want you to leave me. And she, she he's so insecure because that seems so exotic and you chose me this little you know but I, I can't yeah I don't know if i feels, can compete with that and he's a fish yeah. out of water in that moment and he knows her he does know he knows her but still there's there's a difference between and that's just the 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 difference between someone that is outside of asian culture and and, and knowing a lot of friends that have had to kind of um, had to settle in 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 planned or uh, marriages inside their own culture because a lot of outsiders, you know, white, uh, black, Latino uh, couples that then you know that one of the spouses is of those and the other is of Asian descent. It's very you know even still of today we would think oh we're such in a modern world no it's they're still rooted in tradition and so there's always going to be for that side of things there's going to be anxiety fear that of this strong bond and connection that's still there 20 something years later could replace me and then the minute he walks into the apartment right before they walk he's like holy shit this guy is like a sculpture yeah. this guy is this guy is like he's you know he's yeah he's a little like you know man you know like a little backpack and everything and it's it's you know tucked in shirt and everything but it's like I'm not going to be able to compete with this. Like this is like, I, I almost laughed in that moment because it's like, he's like, well, shit, I have I, like, all I can worry about is that sh I trust her and she trusts me. But I love that he does that. Yeah, no. Another movie would have gone in a completely di different direction. And he realizes that either we're going to fight about this for the rest of But okay, Ryan, do you think the end of the movie when she walks back on their block and it ends do you think that he he can sort of let that insecurity go i think he can because because she walks back to him and and her heart is broken because she knows it's over but also and, that identification with her past not that she's fallen madly in love with him again no no also no, 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 no. The connection with her roots the door closed and so when the door closed her heart is is shattered and the only one that's been able to pick it up and put it back together will be the real person that loves her because she didn't run after him. Right. She didn't go back into the apartment and say, I got to go get after him. And it's a big Hollywood romantic comedy ending. Right. Um, she, she, she goes back to him because she's like, I maybe it's almost like a little bit too of like, should I even have done this? Should I have, should I have locked, tried to unlock this door because it's only going to lead me to pain? And he's there to console her and basically say at the end, without saying anything, that I'm here, we'll be fine, you'll be stronger than this going forward. And then I think I just think about Song as the writer and director, and that this happened to her, more or less so. Um, to be that vulnerable as a writer, to be able to put yes, this it's in amazing. Um, you know, talking with her, she's very open about speaking about these two relationships, but she's in complete peace. And we know this, she's at complete peace because she's chose, she's with her husband 
they're very happy together. So she ultimately, then we can judge that based off the character that she will be happy, but she had to explore this and he will be secure in knowing that there was never a doubt that he was leaving. I don't right. think that there was ever a doubt that she was leaving, but, but there was doubt in him and those doubts are gone. The minute she's in his arms, you know what I mean? And so I, th- I think it's beautiful. I think it's, it's so just beautiful. It's beautiful. Let's go back to talk about the the genius narcissist relationship. I mean, we've seen this type of marriage a lot. This is often sort of the the artist, the Johnny Cash. We have a few here. We have that Maestro, of course, um, which is a fascinating marriage. Priscilla as well, an unequal relationship with someone who's really invested in their art. Talk about that trope. Oh, man. Um, I'll, I'll, I think I'll speak to Priscilla real quick. I feel like we're just dodging Maestro, but we, I, there will be a big Maestro talk. Um, that's such a big um, a relationship. But Priscilla, I think, is such an interesting... That whole movie is framed from the idea of her in this relationship with Elvis. It's based off the, you know, Priscilla Presley's book. Um, like it's like me and Elvis, I believe, or something like that. Yeah, Elvis um, and me, yeah. Elvis and me. And um, what I found so interesting about Sofia Coppola's movie is the idea of being trapped um, within a marriage and being trapped and and realizing that the dream of a marriage may not always be what you want it to be. And I think that she's trapped on this, this like Air Force base, this naval base or whatever, you know, this military base and with her family and she's from the outside world. You know, she's from America, but they're being trapped because of the war and everything going on. And she gets this taste of the outside world, which is Elvis. And, you know, they start forming a bond or relationship and it's, it's not sexual, but it is that of a connection. And though I think Sofia Coppola shows that it's, a lot of that connection is probably one-sided. You know, it's it's definitely from the from the vantage point of her wanting this, not necessarily Elvis knowing what he wants. I mean, he's a superstar at this point, the biggest superstar on the planet. Uh, and so she trades her her familiar cage for a golden cage when she's trapped in, in, um, in Graceland. And I find all the moments in the movie of her just walking around Graceland, you know, her having the dog outside and them telling her, don't be around here because you know, the photographers and all this different stuff really is, is that of the lonely housewife and control the, and control of, 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 you know, environment of a man um, of that era of that time to the ultimate degree. Cause she is, she feels like a prisoner. She doesn't feel like a wife. And you know, then there's all the rumors of course of him cheating. And these are things that are not covered in Boz Lerman's film and does not paint. I think the prettiest picture of Elvis because he was not the greatest person in the world. He was a very flawed man and I say that as someone that is, you know, I'm not like the biggest Elvis fan, but he's fascinating because he's like a lot of artists of that time when they were thrust into the world and manipulated by men who only saw money. You know, these are like, you know, like the Beatles or Michael Jackson or, you know, um, 
you know, the, the Supremes or anyone, you know, even to a certain extent, like, you know, modern pop stars, like, uh, you know, there are, there are a ton that are always put in the spotlight too soon and manipulated for capitalistic purposes. And he was definitely one of those, but he was also a man of extreme fits of outrage since he lost his mom. He was trying to find a replacement for that. And I think he tried that with Priscilla, but it also still felt like that was property and then he could control her and her liberation at the end is it's a little, it's a little quick, I think in the film, but, but I get it. I understand it, that, that epiphany would happen so quickly. Um, but I think also of the scene where he's trying to, she's trying to just pick out looks and clothes and he tells her, no, 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 no. This is what you're going to wear more eyeshadow makeup. This is how you're going to look. And it's, it's that controlling dynamic of what the artist wants there. And she's not strong enough or old enough yet to push back. I'm Anne-Marie Kelly. Wild Precious Life is a podcast about dreaming big, digging in and connecting across distance, division, and loss. In each episode, I talk with prize-winning writers, musicians, and wanderers who remind all of us how we can make the most of the time we have. So meet me here. Let's walk and talk and dream and discover what it means to be wild, precious, and brave. Because that's what's interesting, the difference between Priscilla and Felicia in Maestro. Priscilla was so young, she had all these illusions of what the marriage would be. And and well, it feels like when Felicia met Leonard Bernstein, she went into that relationship with her eyes a bit more open. Yes. No, I I mean. There's a lot of these movies from Amadeus, where you have this tortured genius narcissist who, while he's composing his music, he's treating his... His wife like shit. I mean, we've seen that's like a, a genre in its own. I found Mastro and Priscilla to be really interesting new takes on those type of things. Yeah, I mean, Maestro, which is incredible. Um, I've seen the movie four times, and 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 I, the thing that I keep going back to is the relationship dynamic. <laughs> Excuse me. The relationship dynamic between Felicia and, and, and Lenny and in the movie starts with, you know, him playing the piano and saying, I miss it terribly, you know, and, and that was good. And, yeah. No, if I had my voice, I could really do it. I really can like figure out how to do it. Um, but the movie is really not just about their relationship dynamics. I think of the scene when he's introducing her to the Matt Bomber character and Matt Bomber at that time is in a relationship with Leonard Bernstein. He's a, uh, a musician that's, that's having a secret gay, you know, affair with, you know, with him. And um, at this time and that they're, they're completely, they're lovers. They're living literally in Carnegie hall together. And all their friends know about it, but the public doesn't because he's not a big deal until he becomes Leonard Bernstein. And then he meets Felicia at a party and then they kind of become connected, as they say. Well, they have this when, incredible partnership. Yeah. Even but, though the situation is difficult. <laughs> very much so. But Bomber looks at her in that moment when they meet. And it's not, and 
it's taken as like, oh, he's off guard that he's brought her here. But it really is the moment of, oh, you're the replacement. Oh, you're the one that now has his attention. And I, and it almost feels like I've been in your shoes before and you, my dear, will be in my shoes very soon. Maybe it's not now. Maybe it's later. It's definitely years later, but she does, she does do that. And it's her own, it's, it's to her own admission. She's, it was my own arrogance to believe that she could cage this, the, these feelings of his. I mean, really there's a, there's a, a, a sequence of the film when, he is married and he's fully with her and everything. And he's sort of kind of given up the wild lifestyle that he had before. He's given up chasing men and, and everything. And he kind of tells her that he's losing the ability to, to, you know, have the urge to make music. She goes, well, you know, if you don't have summer in you, then you, you know, then you can't make music. And so if that is a part of you, you make the compromise that is a movie and a marriage of compromises, but how many compromises can you make before you structurally damage something that you firmly love? But then also within all those damages. And that's the other thing that I find beautiful is when she says, it's like, you know, when she goes to the Ely cathedral, right? She's going there after she's told them that she realizes vile. that's his big moment, but it's also not just that it's, she says that, in the fight that he has no love in his heart and he's a monster essentially. And when she sees him perform at the highest of his powers, she says, there is no hate in your heart. She knows her husband. She knows that he is who he is and she loves him and he loves her. And when he hugs her, he missed her terribly as well there's so much regret but an understanding of we are made for each other and then that leads to the doctor scene yeah what i think is is just devastating because they're both of their lives break at that moment when they find out that she has cancer and i mean he's he's almost just as emotionally upset as she is and it's 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 quite beautiful it is. It's it's really a beautiful and, and even though it, it's a marriage completely beyond most of our regular people's comprehension, there is so many elements in this one as well. We were talking about different fights before that we recognize things in, but here there are many things in terms of compromise that one can understand. I'm going to do a weird segue here from Priscilla to May, December, because talking oh, about wow. grooming and very yeah. young people who are sort of manipulated into a relationship. Let's talk about the marriage at the center of May, December, a movie that takes inspiration from the 90s Mary Kay Letourneau, the real story of the teacher who was in a relationship with, essentially raped her 13-year-old student. But then they had children and she went to jail and got out and they got married and had many children and many years together. Talk about how Todd Haynes portrays that marriage here. Well, I mean, he portrays it as as normal as possible in the beginning that a community is basically has a lie and a secret. I mean, when Natalie Portman shows up, she's the, she's the stirrer in the drink, right? Cause the drink's fine, but let's stir it up and let's see what the drink turns into at that point. Um, 
because like when she's at the barbecue and one of their friends walk up and saying, you know, you need to kind of like be kind to them. They're like pillars of this community and da, 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 da. And as she's investigating it, you realize that like, yeah, and you know, she manipulated Joe or put her tentacles into Joe when he was 13 and they had this, this sexual relationship that turned into her um, tabloid, Gracie's tabloid thing played by Julianne Moore um, that led to her going to jail, but also carrying Joe's baby, their first child. And not only what I think is crazy about that story being very true and tied to you know, to the Turno case is the idea of then she comes out, they're still together and they have two more children. And that's where the story really is about is about those two children graduating high school and the empty nest of it all. And what, a, what will happen when it's just the two of them mm-hmm. not had that for their entire relationship. They've always had a child. And I mean, Joe and hers relationship is one of walking on eggshells. It is one of say the wrong thing. She treats him like a child. Yes, but he also he's also like, I cannot say or do anything. No. Because like the cake, the cake thing is exactly why. He hears her cry about this cake. Somebody didn't want the order. And he says one word or something, right? At a line there. And she just stops crying and she turns like a snake on his throat. It almost feels like like, what did you just say? And he, he went, you know, we, we, you know what I mean? Not you, but we, or something like that. And, and then it, it changes back into it. And how many times is probably Joe had to go sit down there, eat the same piece of damn cake to calm her down and look at her and be like, it's really good. It's really good. See the cake. We'll just eat it. It's not that bad, you know, but then in, as Elizabeth, Natalie Portman's character is unraveling Joe he finally has those questions and it leads to again, another massive confrontation that I think is the, the influx of the, the, just the impasse of the movie, the big moment that we've all been leaning up to, which is this idea of he wants to talk about it. They never have talked about it in the sort of 20 plus years about this relationship. And Christina, for me, I was broken watching Milton's performance as Joe here try to articulate because he's never been allowed. You're right. He's never been allowed to articulate his feelings. He's still a child inside an adult body and she's not allowed him to have a moment of just pure expression. Right. Charles Melton said who plays Joe in an interview recently, um, something about the, how he realized how afraid the real Joe must have been feeling that the right thing to do must be to now we have a child for me to stay here completely missing out on his adolescence there's an incredible scene where he smokes his first joint ever with his son and you realize he's done nothing of this and the guilt he feels for being what 13 year olds years older than his kids and just realizing that he's putting his kids out into the world now also with this history and everyone asking these questions and and seeing him slowly, slowly unravel is just so brilliantly done. I mean, it, it's one of my favorite movies of the year, but it's I, mm-hmm. I find it chilling, torturous for, for Joe. 
oh, yeah. to come to realize what he has missed, what he's been doing, and what actually happened to him. He's like coming out of a, a trauma, of a coma. He's like a fog is lifting as to what he's actually been manipulated to. Yeah, I mean, you, you talk about the joint scene when he's telling his son, I don't know if I'm creating a good memory for you yeah. or a bad memory for you, essentially. And something that, you know, and, and his son, weirdly enough, in that moment, which is crazy. Like when you watch the film, really, the the kids are so aware of their situation. They, they you know, they're an older generation, so, or they're, they're like a younger generation, but they're, they feel older in the information that they probably know. They've probably gone through multiple things of bullying or uh, definitely don't take her last name. Definitely take probably a different last name or whatever. You know what I mean? Probably take his last name. Um, and if and if so, we'll change their names probably in the future to separate from this. I mean, they like, get the, shit delivered to their in the mail yes. frequently. <laughs> but the I mean. kids feel, you would seem like at the beginning, they seem like they have normal lives and everything. Except but, for the kids from the first marriage. Yes. Yeah. The kids in the first marriage they think that this is all crazy and nuts and they have no relationship with these kids whatsoever. Um, but that moment is really like a, a moment where it's like, oh my God, this kid is actually parenting his father because they're almost in the same boat in terms of, if not the, his child has passed him in terms of experiences. And I mean, the, the, there's the scene with his, where Joe's with his father and there's these uncomfortable silences because they've yet to still have that conversation. They've not so talked about it. And not talked about it. So they're like, oh, empty nest. Okay, cool. Good for you. Or never talked about this. So I'm not going to, you know, go any further than that. And then it leads to, I think, one of the lines of the year. Um, if we are in love as we say we are, which is what Joe is saying. Like, if we're telling everyone that we love each other. Why can we not have a 100% honest conversation? And Gracie's ass just takes it to 11, leaves the room, and they we don't see them again together the rest of the film. We could probably assume that there's a compromise, and unfortunately, Joe, back, Joe probably goes back right into the trance that Gracie has created because she's super manipulative, and she's super controlling, and she's calculated, um, there's no way that she's not based off the final interaction that she has with Portman. She's definitely in control of all the narratives. Um, but I mean, she also is a deflector of blame as well. She goes, who is the boss? Who is the boss? Basically like you asked for this and which is taken literally from an interview exactly. that Letourneau had and it's bone chilling. It's a bone chilling like reveal. And then Joe is essentially manipulated by the Natalie Portman character as well. She is. She, I mean, she does do that. He is very much manipulated by her and manipulated by, again, an old, you know, essentially, I mean, they're the same age, but he is, he's still a young man. Like well, she knows he has no other experiences. No, she knows that she's not stupid, but she's, she's, having a, a sexual relationship with him um, for the part, for the, you know, all this stuff. And he, once again, is so vulnerable and naive 
and just as like, I thought you actually wanted to be with me. And she's like, this is what grownups do. And that's another line. And it's like Sammy Birch's screenplay is just filled with hilarious lines, but then scorchers. And that is, that is one where every time I've seen it with an audience, you hear at least one person go, Ooh, yeah. That's, Ooh. yeah. And it's, and it, but it's, but it's the summation of Joe where it's like, he's not an adult right. and he's being manipulated by, pretty much everything around him new or old and it's yeah it's completely heartbreaking let's talk about ernst and molly yeah in killers of the flower moon what do you make of that relationship i mean that's the bit the big controversy i think of the film right is the ernest and molly burkhart storyline because that's what the film was recentered around this this marriage and i know people have been like you know the depiction of like, is it give enough time for, um, for Lily to have her moments? Does it give, does it give too much of a, does it give sympathy to Leo's character? I don't think so. I think that it shows that for me, at least this is how I interpret it. Maybe you interpret it different. Christina. It showed that Ernest did love her, but how manipulative he was by his uncle you cannot erase the fact that this marriage was built to destroy the Osage at the forefront of it all. And so, yes, I do think he loved his wife and I do think she loved him. I think they loved each other purely out of love and also out of necessity. Um, but I think that it is the most of all these it's right up there with May December as the most despicable of all marriages. It is, he is making love with her and having children and kissing her and all this different stuff. And then allowing her sisters and mother to die and poisoning her and poisoning her. I mean the, the whole poisoning sequence and him being so, so blind and never stand up too cowardly. He's a coward. That's ultimately what he is. He is, a, he's an easily manipulated coward. And Molly falls victim to that, but then also she has her own moments of like, I'm not putting up with this when she goes to Washington, when she's there at the trial or she's listening to him, you know, say that he's going to flip and join back with, with, uh, with King, with De Niro. And I think at that point she realizes this has all just been bullshit. Mm. It's all been kind of lies. And, that moment where she's she's with him finally and she asks him about what was what what were you giving me? What were in those jars? And he he he's been trying to tell the truth, but he still can't tell the truth to her. It's just he can't. He can't do it. It's it's heartbreaking, but it's it's also because you want them because it feels like they had a connection, but it's also like you know, essentially also it's he's he's a dangerous man. He's a dangerous man because he's because he's a puppet on a string for his uncle, and um, and I and find it symbolic of the whole. I think so too. The yeah. whole history of what of what America has done to the. I mean, it, the silence, the manipulation, the murder, the the cowardness. It's a symbol of everything. I f- I find in the center of that marriage. Yeah, I think it's a sleight of hand, right? It really is. Like he loves money, so the you know, the idea of a sleight of hand, right? Where, mm-hmm. um. We're over here, 
I'm love you. I'll, you know, we have a family, we have a house, we have kids, but really what's going on is I'm taking all your money. I'm killing, literally blowing up a house to kill your sister and the brother-in-law who's also getting away. Because you think about that. It's like Ernest. We see Molly and Ernest and we see that there's actual love there. Whether or not it's complicated love. There's no question about it. It's complicated love. When we see Jason Isbell, who you had a great interview with here on your show, we see his character's perspective. There is no love there. It's all a show. You know what I mean? And it go it calls into question then to the audience, which is worse? What Ernest is doing or what Isbell's character is doing? And I think both are terrible. I think the, the, the conclusion is whatever these white guys are doing is terrible. There's a separate character that's wife dies. He inherits two children and he basically goes and says, is it better to I, adopt them or kill? Them? Yeah. Like if I adopt them and they somehow end up dead, do I get their money? And the guy's like, it sounds like you're just saying you're going to murder them the minute you adopt them. He's like, well, not if I can't get the money, which is sick. It's absolutely sick, but that's, that's what, the whole film and the whole uh, tragedy is yeah the history about it it's all it's all about whatever it takes to eradicate wipe them out and steal everything that they can it's it's because you're saying that this is the center of of a little bit of discussion around the movie and i find it completely the opposite because i think this is the center of what you know he's saying no i think people people don't like it because it then allows Leo to have a bigger part and it's not focused enough on quote unquote, the Osage. But I think that this is for me, I think the FBI angle, which is what the original David Grant novel is all about. I think that that would have been a terrible, terrible, oh, terrible. mistake to just make this a thriller. I think that, um, though it is kind of like a, a thriller in that sense, make it more of a procedural rather than making it about a character study or a, or a marriage study between these two people and using that marriage to the branch off the metaphor of everything, because as all these atrocities are happening to the, the Kyle family, it's also happening to everybody else. That's why they keep moving. That's why they, it keeps happening. And, you know, and, and there's no justice being done. Meanwhile, De Niro is the one orchestrating this with DiCaprio as his kind of flunky to, be the smile in front of the camera, but the devil behind it. And I think that it's, you know, at a certain point by the end, um, you know, there is no real resolution because the powerful always stay powerful and they find a way to manipulate and slither into the cracks that they want to get into. And it's a travesty. It's a tragedy. That's why, you know, people are like, well, it's the movie so long or, it shows too much of these two guys. It's like they are the perpetrators of why this tragedy exists. You need to show what they did. And if you don't understand that, then you're only getting also one side. Now, you know, I, I know that the, you know, there's been some criticisms over, um, you know, is Lily a lead or, or supporting and, and does she get enough time? I think she does because, the actions of what they do completely render her speechless and conscious. And through what we see in her tremendous performance is the effects that this evil has 
on her and everyone, yeah, everyone in her community. And I, and I just think, yeah, I think Scorsese nailed it with this thing. This is horrible to say, but the married couple in the zone of interest might be the most <laughs> unified and partnership of all these marriages we have been talking about. And these are Nazis. Yeah. And <laughs> talk about yeah. that. Well, they are, they have a common goal. God, it sounds terrible. Yeah, I mean, they are on the most understanding playing field of anyone that we've talked about here. They understand his job. She understands what she wants, where she wants to be for him, for her, for their children. And they are completely comfortable living in that pristine environment on the other side of a wall where on the other side the biggest atrocity maybe in human history is occurring, the Holocaust, Auschwitz. And there are so many scenes. You and I watched this in Telluride, and we had conversations. There's so many scenes of just that scene by the lake, I think, encapsulates their marriage. Um, obviously, like how they, the, there's a sleeping scene at the end of the night, you know, like early on in the film where they're, laughing and giggling like nothing else is going on outside as the black smoke is 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 going on but that scene where he is about to get yeah you and i talked about him entirely exactly and tell you which is one of the most normal fights that very many couples have is i want to take this transfer um it's a great job opportunity for me and i have to move the family from and and the wife says We've built a life here. The kids are happy. I don't want to go. I mean, it's like the most ridiculously normal um, discussion that a couple has in the midst of the most horrible historical events we've ever had. Yeah, I mean, she's saying, I don't want to leave Auschwitz. Hmm. I'm the queen of Auschwitz. And I have my like, garden. I mean, it's, I even, gar- it's even like, simpler than the queen of Auschwitz. It's like I have, I've just planted the garden. We have this lovely little pool. The kids are up. It's just so mundane. Yeah. She loves, though, the power that she has. There's no question about it. She loves the service. She loves the the fur coat. You know what I mean? She loves, she loves being able to, right? She loves the primness of everything. I mean, it, it's why the, the mother character comes into full effect and she sees that this is not for her even though she says like this is your paradise this is what you've always wanted and that's the other thing she said this is what we've always fought for rudolph is essentially to have this place to be in this place and you want to give that up because they what you've done too good a job now no we're gonna stay uh you're gonna go and just do that stuff essentially you're gonna go on the road we'll stay at home and we'll see you when you get back and yeah, it, he. what does he do? He's just like, you know what? You're right. We'll just do it that way. And, but then there's the conversation that she has with him at the end of the film where he's, where he's like worried about something or he's, you know, he's, he's having like weird dreams or whatever. And then she's like, all right, that's good and everything, but just, you know, get over it, move on and, and come home when you can. And she, you know, she's not interested in the fluff. There's no fluff. It's a part, it's a, it's a, almost like professional partnership the two of them have it's not even a marriage at that point it's like you know 
Get home to your throne. We'll figure it out there. Otherwise, quit being a baby and move on. Like she's she's super strong. In the same way that um, Killers of the Flower Moon, which is also, of course, a movie about and murder, but it's the same way that the director, the, the screenwriting is centered very much on the marriage, on these marriages here as a larger metaphor for what's actually going on and the the consensus of silence and evil um, is inside in different ways of these marriages. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I, I just think that they're so... That, that, all these marriages, but especially this one, you're, you're right. This one's so for zone is so different because they're talking in the norm normality in the, in the world of a tragedy. And I know that audiences will go see it very, very soon. And it's such a, such a beautiful piece of work. It really is. But I just, I, I think that, the complexity in that marriage is, is one that I've thought about a lot because, you know, it takes a lot to be that evil for the commandant to be that evil, but to have an, uh, someone by a side, almost not even almost definitely an enabler. Oh, yeah, totally. To push, push him forward. I mean that, that to me is, yeah, it's, it says a lot. Glazer Glazer's always interested in, uh, relationships and how they sort of form through various different avenues. And this is a relationship that I think is one of the most comp it's not complicated, but it's the most complex in terms of what we've talked about, which is how, how you live a life when all you can hear is screams and pain and think that that's just okay. It's, it's, yeah, it's, and how it doesn't take a toll on your marriage. How are you okay with it? Lastly, I want to discuss what I know is your favorite movie of the year. Yes. Oppenheimer. Um, yeah. And the relationships and marriage there. Because I think we may, the the depictions of, of the women in Oppenheimer mm. are not my favorite. <laughs> We've yeah. talked a little about that before. Yes. But um, um, I... Talk to me about what you see that Nolan wanted to do, particularly with the marriage between Killian and, and Emily Blunt. Well, I've seen this movie way too many times, as you know, Christina. <laughs> um, and yes, it is my favorite film of the year. But I think also you have to remember this one is actually uh, more subjective than objective because every time we see these women they're through the uh, the written and uh, perspective of j robert oppenheimer you want to say that that's a cop-out um, i find it fascinating because it's like well if the rest of the film in color in technicolor is through only oppenheimer's perspective well then of course he's going to see his relationships as disposable he really does i mean there's a moment when he sees gene and he, he like surprises her and it's a snapshot. We don't know everything about what's going on in her life and all this different other stuff. Um, but he like literally just like hears about them breaking the, the, uh, the atom or the, or whatever. And the splitting of the atom. And he just like abandons her, leaves her. 
Like she, she is not as important as his work. And yet there's still a lot of internal regret that Robert has. He does love her, but she sort of, he feels that she's rejecting him because we know of Jean Tadlock. We know of, if you do any research that she was bisexual and that she was a communist um, and that she was surveyed and brilliant. By, and brilliant. She was brilliant. Now there's no, there's no mark against that. But if you are writing it through the subjective prism, then one would say that as brilliant as Jean Tadlock or Kitty Oppenheimer are, wouldn't J. Robert Oppenheimer think still that he is more smart and sophisticated and, you know, and, and just a, just a bigger brain and be a narcissist when it well, comes to that? I think that's that. done well. I, I agree. Yeah. And, and with that, that's not my issue. My issue is more, which maybe is not pertinent to this discussion, but that like <laughs> one of the most, the most famous lines of Oppenheimer ah, yes. is, is said mid fuck basically. Yeah. Florence um, which feels slightly uh I don't know. <laughs> I, I I like the scene on a whole. Um just just uh, the way in which um these two minds are going back and forth with one another. Again, it's also like that scene, if you want to take it like um I become deaf destroyer of worlds. Um distorted memories of the past and everything also too it's something that's like it's literally uh he's reading this all or we're seeing this all through a statement that he's reading and whatnot so it could he could not have his facts all correctly as well too but it's definitely around that time maybe you know combining stories or whatnot we do that all the time i'm not justifying it i think it, yeah the way that it's done is like it's a little it's the one still where as a person that loves this movie it's like, all right, that's a little, that's a little much, um, you know, but, um, and I can get that, but that doesn't derail the film in its totality, you know, for me. And I have to say that the marriage, the Emily, the, her yes. character um, is, is interesting in the sense that you really get to see a woman who I think is so, so common where, where being a housewife rearing children also a brilliant woman um and yeah. having to get come into a life where she's essentially just a housewife is not something she would ever be able to do there i think you get to see what's actually happening to her how most of the time robert isn't seeing that and understanding why and then when she gets her really big monologue you realize that she has she knows more than he has wanted to discover in his own yeah. life. Well, she she's the in that third act. She's the only one that can see through Straws' bullshit. And essentially, she's like, why won't you fight? You know, and, and I know that it's done like a couple times or whatever, and some people don't like it, but it's she's trying to be for Robert what she was when he was making the bomb. You know what I mean? Which was... I'm trying to be here for you and be your confidant to be, you know, because he says there's two scenes that make then everything in that third act worked for me. And I've, I've seen it multiple times. So I can bring this up. It's, <laughs> I, it's I believe when you. <laughs> she's, when she's, when he gets on the project, they ride out into the country or like into the Los Alamos area. And she says, you know, Lawrence isn't going to get this done. You are. So figure it out. And understand the totality of your responsibility, essentially. And then when Gene, spoiler alert, dies, um, 
she's like, you know, you don't get to commit the sin and have all of us feel sorry for you. There's a lot of people that depend on you here. So get up and finish the job. And she's always the one there that's telling him exactly the right thing and telling him point blank, we're not doing the martyrdom, the pity party, cut it out. And you're, you're the most important man, or at least you said you are to me, so go prove it. And then by the end of it, she's just tired of him playing the victim or trying to have all this taken out on him. The final scene that they have together is like what they did to him. And she's, and he goes, just, we'll see. I don't know. I can't control any of what the future is. All I could control was what was put on the record and move forward. And they walk back into the house. But yes, her bitterness towards Benny Safdie at the end, not shaking his hand, her understanding of it. She's, she is the, you know, when, when um, the lawyer making Blair basically says, you know, can we trust her? She's been drinking a lot. Da, da, da. It's like, you need to understand Kitty and I have been through hellfire together. She'll handle herself. He trusts her. He does ultimately trust her. I mean, he's, he's, pissed her off when he read the, when he put the Tatlock stuff in the record and had to do that um, and bring it all up again. But I think it, it, I think it's much more complex than people give it credit for. And I think it's also in a way too, since it is the subjective, it's the husband admitting there that his wife did have more of an influence on him and his decision-making at the height and the lowest part of his life in this moment. And so, yeah, I think, I think that I know that people get a lot of crap to how the women and Pew in particular is written. I think blunt, the more and more I've watched it, the more nuance there is in that writing. I do feel that I agree with. Yeah. I, Gene, I, I understand. I think that there's a scene or two that could have been added. That could have added some more levity or, or understanding. I think that there's a couple of things, even in their, you know, post, like their naked scene or whatever. There's, there's um, the dialogue there is, is really good. And then her death is that of the mystery that we always know about her, but it's the couple scenes before where I think that like, yeah, we would, I would have liked to be able to see that relationship just blossom a little bit more, but yeah, I think Kitty and, and Robert's relationship is, is, is there's well, more particularly than what's on the page. Since we know historically and as well, we, we, we hear it in the movie so many times what an important, important person um, Tatlock was for him. And mostly we're seeing a sexual relationship, but it feels like what they're saying is that it was even bigger than that. Yeah, no, I mean, it, she, Jean was his first love, essentially, and she was brilliant. And, but of course she was a communist and of course she was, um, she wasn't somebody and she also pushed him away. She was bisexual. Um, you know, she would, she'd go back to Robert for comfort. You know what I mean? If you read things about her, she would, she'd go back and forth. She was noncommittal. And then of course he knocks up Emily Bunn in a relationship, which is what we know about Robert Oppenheimer, which is sort of a, like a, you know, is a genius and he, you know, slept with multiple women. Cause I mean, he's literally sleeping with another one of the wives 
who's like the one of the heads of the committee that picked everyone for the project, you know, and um, and uh, and there's like a kind of a, a throwaway, I wouldn't say a joke, but like a statement about that in the third act of the film. But um, but yeah, no, I, I I think that again that relationship could have been explored more, but that but there is also the ramifications of what that relationship does on their marriage that makes it worth it enough. Yeah. And in even the trial it's not, as well. I yeah. Mean, in the trial. Not, I mean, like, not just to the marriage, but to history. I, mean, <laughs> I will say, I know that people think that that like, you know, it's so weird to have that visual. Oh, that visual is the best. Yeah. The visual of him naked and her on, on him and blunt sort of perspective of how, that would be, of course, that's how I think a wife or anyone would, would feel in that moment. Um, it's very rare for Nolan to use nudity of nudity at all sexual um, situations. So I think when he does do it, it's there's a purpose behind it. Um, and this is of, of the director that thinks that everything, you know, in his movies is very purposeful. Um, I don't think that, that that sex scene that they initially have, you're right, the, the, the last bit of it is makes sense but the rest of it um is very much because we only see sex with gene we don't see any of it with kitty and it almost feels as if like that's the sexual relationship an exposable relationship and this is the personal professional one with kitty if that makes sense like there's a difference between the two well, and the we see that the domestic one Robert's the person. children though, yes the crying the the, the, the other well, one we, is we, the bomb so to speak yes but we could see the love affair and all that too for robert or we could see but we see the one with gene i think because it means a lot to him he names the trinity test after her yeah, you know yeah what I mean? so great. you know so he doesn't name it after kitty so it's it's kind of interesting. But now we've talked through a bunch of these relationships. Does this year's crop of marriages give you hope to the state of matrimony? <laughs> I think it I think it makes me very secure and happy of where I'm at um with mine. But I think it a lot of them lead to good conversations with your spouse. I mean, I, I remember back to when I we did see Phantom Thread. And um, over the years when I've rewatched it, and I'm going to rewatch it again very soon because it's a movie I watch all the time. And um, the scraping of the toast or when, or when the tea's brought in, it's little things like that. Then you're like, oh, shit, okay. This, re- this relationship is a little bit closer to home than, than whatnot. But I, I don't think, I think a lot of the relationships that we talked about, there's a form of toxicity behind it. And... Um, Definite, there's some regret. Um, people are scared to speak. Um, and so, I, you know, I would hope, though, that maybe relationships are a little bit more like past lives, but just one that is that of open conversation and deep understanding of the other person that is that you're married to, your partner. And um, that's very much the case for me. I know that that's very much the case for you as well with Peter. And so... Um, so yeah, I mean, like, I think it's great to show all sides of an argument, uh, and all sides of a topic. And I think this year is, you know, when you brought up again, the subject, I didn't, I didn't really had put it all together, but then I started looking at the films in my top, like 25 of the year. And I was like, God damn, a lot of them do deal with marriage. It's wild. 
And so, um, so yeah, no. I'd like to add what I think is interesting. I think that in particular, um, I may get blowback on, on saying this, but I think that there's a lot of focus, even in the depictions of the bad marriages on the women and the wives mm. here. There was an era not long ago where the wife was basically at home answering phone calls, like, you know, the astronaut's wife who's sort of, oh, no, there's something horrible happening. I'm here at home. And 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 mm. she wasn't much other than the token wife of the great man. And here, more films actually have quite a well-rounded view of both sides of this yeah. of the marriages and that i couldn't say i mean some of the ones the real classics that i mentioned in the beginning you know bergman was a master at both sides and 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 movies like you know who's afraid of virginia wolf and cassavetes to mention some who were always good at that it felt like something happened along the way where that wasn't as common and that feels very strong this year where both perspectives are are there yeah i mean not that it is a uh, part of this topic, but I mean, even also one of the biggest films of the year is written by a married couple in Barbie. So like, so marriage is, in, it is all over this year. And I think that it speaks again, I think it speaks to, we were at home for so long with the significant others and these projects, maybe that they, they take them forever or not. They involve partnership you know they involve the idea of of probably bouncing ideas like sammy birch her screenplay and the story is with a writer that would become her husband uh emma thomas is christopher nolan's um producer but it's also his wife you know so they're always on the the, the top of mind you know what i mean but then those those stories i think just lend to it because so much complexity in a marriage and everything is, is not the same. And so, um, yeah, I'm just glad that we're kind of back into it. I would like, you know, a topic even could be explored more. It is a, when you were reading off those lists of movies before I was like, well, one, I was like, I want to go watch all those movies. Yeah. But, uh, but I think it's one that it's, it's so juicy enough because you learn so much about a person through their relationships. You know what I mean? Thank you so much for joining us. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's always a thrill to talk with you, Christina. Tell everyone where they can read and hear all your stuff. Yeah, so you can find me uh, on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, Ryan McQuaid77. Just go to awardswatch.com. That's where all my reviews, interviews, uh, the two podcasts, which is the Awards Watch podcast and the Director Watch podcast that we're doing right now covering the films of Paul Thomas Anderson. Uh, you can find all that. We'll have new Director Watch series in the new year. We'll have to have Christina on something um, coming up. And uh, and then, yeah, just um, go, and, go and read all the stuff over there. You know Eric. You know Sophia. You know myself. You know Tyler. Um, we, we love coming on the show, and we, and we love being a pop, part of uh, Christina's life whenever she decides to have us on. It's always a thrill. Same way. It's a lovely marriage. Yes. <laughs> Thank you so much, Ryan. Thank you, Christina. You've got questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. 
Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.